Hello and welcome to the CAAV podcast. I'm your host, Ali Jones, and today I'm joined by Gareth Lay, Director of Atcham's Chartered Surveyors and Chairman of the Written Board for the CAAV Examinations. Welcome, Gareth. Um, first of all, tell us about your role as Chairman of the Written Board and what work does the board do? Thanks, Alid. Um, yeah, so uh, my role as chair on the written board is to ensure that we set questions that are consistent with the examination guidelines that are relevant and uh, are consistent with previous years. So uh, I uh, run a panel of examiners. Uh, we set those questions uh, in uh, early summer. Uh, they get scrutinised. And those questions are then uh, formalised into the point where they're answered by the exam, the, the candidates. And the examiners then meet very soon after examinations uh, in a closed room so that we can uh, mark all of those papers consistently. And then following the marking of the papers, um, the process still goes on. Um, it might be examination review. So it's a year long process of setting the questions, marking them, and then uh, then then reviewing those uh, those marks for the, the candidates that want uh, examination reviews. So all encompassing. Yeah, very much an all encompassing role and very important role too. Um, Tell us about the structure of the written part of the exam. We know that the exam consists of a, of a practical element and an oral element, but the written part, am I right to say, it includes two papers? Yes, Alid. Um, there are two papers. Um, the first paper has three questions of which the candidate should be answering two of those three questions. Um, one of those three is a multi-part, and so uh, I'd advise all uh, potential candidates to review uh, past papers so they get an understanding of the likely type of questions. They're more general in the paper one. And in paper two, you should be answering three out of the six given questions. And uh, those three tend to be more uh, specific to scenarios uh, and uh, maybe require more in-depth on certain uh, aspects of, of, of the syllabus. So it might be compulsory purchase, uh, taxation, whereas paper one is more general. So you get a little bit longer uh, on paper two. There's two uh, hours to answer paper two. Uh, and uh, for paper one, there's one and a half hours, so approximately 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes for each question. And are there different papers or different questions depending where you practice within the UK, thinking about the impact of devolution and different rules and uh, regulations affecting different parts uh, of the United Kingdom? Does that impact on the question setting at all? It does have an impact. The papers are consistent regardless of, of the area that you practice in. So the questions are all the same, but they are what we call devolution proofed. So um, there are certain uh, questions. Uh, it might be for um, taxation or regulations that within that question, it will say, 
if practicing in a certain area, give your answer according to the area in which you practice in. And then likewise, when they're marked, we take into account the geographical location of that candidate, which is marked on, on the top of the paper. So we do take into account those, those, um, those geographic regions. And uh, one of the, the main focuses of this podcast, Gareth, is that we're going to pick up on the top 10 tips uh, for, for future candidates sitting the written element of the exam. The, these top tips have been drafted uh, some some years ago, but they're very, very relevant and they're available on the CAV website uh, for, for candidates to, to look through in detail. But we thought we'd we share the, these top tips uh, in a podcast uh, and talk through them each in turn. So, Gareth, can I ask you to um, talk us about um, and tell us more about I should say the uh, the top tip number one yeah okay the first tip that we've got there is to attend one of the two written tutorials so hugely important for candidates and um, these are, uh, are run by Mitchell Moore solicitors and um, lots of tips and guidance um, within those tutorials uh, in more recent years those have been um, recorded as well so they can uh, candidates can go back and revisit those and um, and it gives you some steer on how to set up your revision notes, uh, lots of technical um, reviews of past papers and being run externally. It gives you very much up to date um, CPD. So um, that's very much uh, the, the first point for the top tips. And you need a certain amount of tutorial hours before you can apply to sit the exam. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. That's set out in the uh, examination guidelines and also in your application form. So you need to verify uh, those uh, tutorials that you've attended. And don't forget, there's also a number of local board um, uh, tutorials, practical tutorial sessions, and you're welcome to join those as candidates, uh, regardless of where you practice, uh, to ensure that you get your practical tutorial hours in within that two-year period prior to the examination. Don't forget there's so many other areas of, uh, the, of, of revision, um, whether it's books, uh, self-help groups, using um, information of, of past papers from the CAV website, but not forgetting other CAV members, particularly those who have recently passed, they'll be well-placed to give you some advice. That's very true. And uh, talk to candidates that have passed in recent years as well. They always got some really uh, good advice. And uh, I'm a big advocate of going to the tutorials. I myself was uh, the tutorial organiser for Aberystwyth uh, for, for many years uh, and enjoyed that process. It was, it was certainly beneficial for me uh, preparing as a candidate and I really enjoyed getting involved uh, subsequently. So yeah, attending tutorials, uh, be that virtual or physical, is always a very, very important thing to do. Now, the second tip, Gareth, is all about reading the question yeah really obvious one here Alan um, reading the question and answer um, candidates will have had this drilled into them from GCSEs A levels uh, degree so on and um, reading that question it never fails to uh, amaze me that uh, people that go off on a tangent uh, answering something that, uh, that isn't set out in the question so um, make sure you read it Perhaps take a highlighter along, highlight those those relevant parts of the, of the question to make sure you answer them. And, and don't forget that some questions come in two or three parts within that, that question. So uh, a, a classic case that um, uh, one that I looked at last year, I asked 
for a question about assured short hold tenancies, listing out the documents that are required and the process required when letting a residential property. And many, many candidates, dozens of candidates only answered the first part. They listed the documents required, but they forgot about identifying the process required. So it was a two part question in effect. So good candidates uh, answered the first part very well, but only only got 50 percent of, of the answer right. So read that question thoroughly. And it's about taking time to, to read the question. And you, and you can understand in exam conditions against the clock, uh, candidates might feel uh, ever so slightly rushed to read a question quickly to try and understand and, and to maximise the time available to, to provide the answer. But actually, it's better to, to take a breath, take time, read the question, reread it to make sure you fully understand what's expected of you. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be it'll be most efficient to spend an extra minute or two rereading the question because it will be reflected in the marks that's allocated. So so well worth um, pausing right at the beginning. And uh, that leads us on nicely to the third tip uh, about the answer. Uh, well, what should candidates avoid when setting out their answer? <laughs> well, a wall of words, I will come on to that uh, later, um, is just being concise. So uh, making sure that you're answering the question that's in, put in, in front of you, uh, answering all parts. Even if you get short on time, perhaps uh, listing um, the answer in bullet point uh, towards the end of the, the question. If you've, you've only got a handful of minutes left, it's surprising how many points you can get simply by by, by listing your answer. Um, and I've spoken before about gold plating the answers. So it might be a question, say, on taxation, inheritance tax or capital gains tax. And you'll quote your case law and, and, and uh, the background to the practical scenario that is set but don't forget about those small parts so if it's taxation perhaps uh, note issues about business rates uh, VAT uh, red diesel for example if it's a contract farming question so so always after you've finished your your answer um, go back and gold plate it and top top it up with with all those facts that you've been revising uh, and that will will get you those extra marks now, your fourth tip, Gareth, uh, is titled Don't Sell Yourself Short. What's meant by that? Yeah, well, again, going back to that point of revising in, 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 in detail, making sure you use that knowledge. So answer the question as best you can, but go back and make sure that you've answered it properly and fully. So make sure you insert your dates, your case law, uh, and and uh, any other facts and figures. Uh, it might be simple things like acronyms. It's surprising at how many people, how many candidates list out information simply by using initials of legislation. Perhaps go back and put a date against it. If it's the Agricultural Holdings Act, don't just put AHA, put Agricultural Holdings Act 1986, for example. 
And, and very often, as you mentioned earlier in, in the second tip, that the questions uh, can be subdivided and ask different points or, or, or ask for a different breakdown. Do, do the questions make it clear where and how the marks are allocated? Say, say for example, there are three parts to the question. Are they split out in such a way you know the first element has two marks and the second might have three or four, so you know how to, how to allocate your time? Yeah, each question has 20 marks uh, and, and that's consistent across both papers. And within those questions, uh, there will be a breakdown. Um, it, it very rarely is a question entirely made up of, of one question for 20 marks. So it'll set out the scenario. And then within that scenario, uh, it will be broken down into two, three or maybe five parts. Uh, and each of those parts will have marks allocated to it. So, for example, uh, out of those 20 marks, uh, part A may only be two out of the 20 and part B might be 18. And then you can allocate your time and answers according to those uh, marks allocated. Yeah, that's always a good thing to remember. Cast your eye down that um, subdivided question list and, and understand where, where and how the marks are allocated so you can spend uh, the time. It also gives you an indication of how much detail they're expecting under each of those sub-questions. Um, top tip number five is uh, less is definitely more. Now, as an examiner having to mark these scripts, um, I'm sure you, you agree with that one. I do. Yeah, a lot. Uh, when, when we're marking um, 100 plus papers, uh, what we don't want is a, a, a wall of words, a waffle. Um, some of those best answers are the shortest. They, they might be bullet points. Um, um, read the question as to uh, what is required within the answer uh, format. So that might be letter, meeting notes, uh, it might be a report. Um, but very often, even if you're writing a letter to a client, um, it's the right thing to do to insert bullet points, numbered points. You've got the facilities uh, with the, the laptop to be able to format the page so it's very readable. But um, yeah, very often some of the shortest answers um, are the highest uh, answers. There's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's that's always interesting, isn't it? So, um, but brevity can can help, and uh, certainly it uh, focuses the mind of the candidate and and the examiner, makes it easier for them to absorb the information. Uh, Tip number six is, is matching the time spent to the marks allocated, which which we've covered uh, uh, just, just earlier. And the seventh tip is formatting answers, um, which which also you've, you've touched upon. But, but tell us a bit more about that, because obviously the, the, the questions are structured in such a way that they're expecting candidates to provide answers in, in a in, in, in a practical and real life setting in, insofar as you know you'll be expected to write your clients letters, you'll be expected to, to provide reports. So it's, it's very much practising um, to doing the professional work and using the formatting tools you would do in, the, in your in your day-to-day -day work that's right so so with the laptops um, there the facility is there to create short sentences multiple sentences rather than long paragraphs the, these are things that you you wouldn't ordinarily do for your clients or in your your your, your business a scenario is write long waffly uh, paragraphs. So keep it short, use the bullet points, use numbered points, use tables where possible. Uh, some answers require, uh, they might say, what are the advantages or disadvantages of a certain solution? Put that in a table, 
don't don't do it in separate paragraphs um, so making sure it's easy uh, and efficient for the examiner to mark because as soon as that examiner receives a paper with bullet points and tables um, we can whiz through it lots of ticks uh, allocate the marks and and move on and hopefully those 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 are high marks so formatting um, I can't emphasize enough how important that is um, to, to get your layout right and if you get in the habit of doing that properly you can really just focus on the knowledge on answering the question uh, rather than uh, worrying about uh, how how the, um, the 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 formatting and how you're going to set out your answer should be just uh, you can you can uh, load your knowledge in the format that's provided and also time is precious uh, i know we've mentioned earlier about matching the time to the to the marks allocated but but knowing how much time to spend on each question is also important and, and possibly not falling into the trap of spending a lot of time on questions you're comfortable with um, providing a, a gold-plated answer to that one and then leaving yourself really up against it on the questions you're p- perhaps less comfortable with yeah, as I said, there's a, really you want to be spending something like 40, 45 minutes on each question, uh, but don't be tempted to to overload on, on those areas that you're comfortable with, because the chances are you've already got a reasonable um, haul of marks on, on that question. Um, pause to think about the more challenging uh, questions and using um, a, a question plan could work um, and if you are short on time perhaps as I said before use bullet points simply to get those last answers down um, and, and you, you could get a reasonable number of marks allocated. Would you advise candidates to prepare a question plan before they start answering? I would yeah, absolutely. And, and with the digital format, it allows for those for, for, for you to insert your subheadings and then go back and insert the detail later. Um, it might be that you want to write out a question plan in handwritten notes. That's fine. You're welcome to do that. And it, it goes back to that original point about planning, uh, planning the answer from the start pausing to take that time to think how you're going to answer it and uh, making sure you get all of the relevant points of that broken down question on one page so a question plan uh, i think is 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 very important it's almost a checklist in a way uh, for your answer uh, and of course if you do then end up really up against it with time then at least you've got that question plan that might attract some marks as well if, if, the, if the examiner can clearly see that you've failed to complete within the time but had had a plan and knew how to answer that always uh, goes in your favor yeah, yeah that's right and the 10th and final tip is ideally use a laptop. Now, most candidates do use laptops, uh, but from an examiner point of view, I'm sure you, you would encourage everybody to do that. I would. The option is still there to use uh, a, a answering in handwritten format, but um, we do urge all candidates. We think there's a, a benefit for candidates and examiners in using a laptop uh, and use it to your advantage. Use those bullet points, spacing, uh, numbered paragraphs, um, bold headings, and maybe underlined headings wherever possible. Um, because 
essentially that is what you would do in practice if you were presenting a sensible report or some meeting notes or a letter to a client uh, and and that's what we expect and when candidates use the laptops are there any functions disabled on them clearly you can't uh, um, google uh, uh, questions and trying to get answers online so, so that's disabled it'll simply just be a word document uh, a word browser that's open that's right it's a very simple uh, uh, word uh, package that is provided it's consistent for all candidates um, but it is suitable for providing uh, reports, bullet points uh, and, and numbered headings uh, in, a, in a way that is um, very easy to write and uh, subsequently read. And I'm sure these guidelines will be given to candidates when when they sit the exam, but they're, they're saved, they're backed up, I believe, on the laptop and also on a USB stick and then printed out. So, so there's, there's, there's a process of making sure those questions are saved. Yeah, that's that's right, and that's set out in the uh, in the, in the examination guidelines as to how the uh, how the laptops will operate, and 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 on that note, I, I do urge all candidates to take the time to read and understand those examination guidelines for 2021. Uh, it sets out the top 10 tips that we've just discussed. Uh, then it goes on to to detail the aspects of the syllabus, those 12 points that uh, you can revise on. But also, importantly, it sets out the timescales, the numbers of questions, the times allocated for questions in both practical and written exams. And for the candidates, I would say that if you can understand the exam techni technique and what is expected in terms of the timing, then you're removing a large element of concern or doubt or uncertainty and it allows you to focus solely on answering the questions, getting that knowledge down on paper rather than worrying about what sort of time, how the questions marking is allocated or split. And that might be through gaining an understanding and speaking to recent candidates uh, who've gone through the process so that you're familiar with what to expect over those two days and from my experience there, there are a lot of people within the association that are also happy to help candidates within your local association they're short there normally is people you can turn to and uh, self-help groups are very often uh, organized for candidates sitting the exam so get 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 involved seek help uh, and ask questions and there's also a huge amount of information available on the CAV website if you go into the examination section you can read past papers examinations reports and the top 10 tips and, and the guidelines of course and, and do take time to, to to read those information hopefully you found this podcast useful uh, just to chat through some of the some of the top tips that have been prepared by the written board well, well Gareth just before we close do you have any final thoughts or final pieces of advice you want to give candidates sitting the exam this year uh, and I'm sure you will encourage them all to do it because um, achieving fellowship of the CAV is hugely, hugely valuable from a professional point of view and also a networking point of view. That, that, that's right, Alan. I would urge all candidates to um, take the time to understand the process, work hard through your revision notes, speak to 
past candidates, speak to other CAAV members uh, so that you can brush up your knowledge and to, to, to make sure that, that you, you have a good, the best possible opportunity to pass the 2021 uh, examinations um, because uh, we we encourage you to um, to build your knowledge so that you you become a fellow. Uh, these examinations are not barriers uh, to to membership. They are there to encourage people to um, to achieve and become fellows. We want uh, more members uh, to to come on board. Brilliant. Well, that's a great way to finish the podcast. Gareth, can I wish you and the written board all the very best as we run into this year's examinations in the question setting all the way through to the marking? A lot of work ahead of you, but I'm sure and we have all the confidence in you and your fellow written board members that you're going to do that job uh, with great skill. uh, And we do encourage and uh, wish the very best of luck to all the candidates as well. Gareth, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Alan. And there we are. We've reached the end of yet another episode of the CAAV podcast. If you want to keep up to date with all future episodes or indeed catch up on previous ones, please head to our website or you can subscribe for free on whichever platform you use. Also, if you've got any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch by sending us an email to inquire at caav.org.uk. But that's it for today. Until the next time, thank you very much for listening and bye for now.